0: Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin and I will be your host. If you would like to learn more about our upcoming live stream yoga classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and/or our online yoga studio, please visit us at nativeyogacenter.com. Thank you. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in Native Yoga Podcast today. I am really pleased to bring a yoga teacher and friend of mine, Carly Hunter, in today for our conversation. Uh, Carly's teaching is informed by her lifelong study of movement as a competitive gymnast and dancer. She holds a BFA in dance performance from The Ohio State University where yoga was first introduced to supplement her dance training. She has been practicing yoga for two decades and and devoted to Ashtanga yoga since 2012. Uh, In New York City, Carly uh, mentored under Dave Hollander, assisting in his Mysore room and eventually leading her own Mysore classes. And over the last five years, she has built a, a robust private practice teaching a, a diverse range of students one-on-one in their homes and offices. And she has spent significant time studying and attending trainings with uh, master teachers Manju Joyce, Nancy Gilgoff, Tim Miller, David Swenson, Shelley Washington, and David Williams. Please visit Carly on her website at www. Carly, C-A-R-L-Y, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, Yoga, Y-O-G-A.com. That's CarlyHunterYoga.com. And check out what she's up to in New York City. Without any further ado, I'm pleased to welcome Carly Hunter. Hi, Carly. So great to talk to you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. How are you,
0: Todd? I'm really well, thank you. We we appreciate you taking time out of your day to to sit and talk about what's happening in the the yoga world. And one reason I'm extremely excited to have a conversation with you is you live in New York City, and yeah, um, you know, I I'm watching the news and stuff like that, and. I see that New York is obviously under um, strict quarantine and uh, where I live in Florida, things are spread out. I, mm-hmm. I can't really imagine. I love New York City. It's one of my most favorite cities in the world and yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to be there right now um, yeah. personally. So that's why I'm really, ex- one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk to you. Um, before we get into all of that, um, yeah. I just kind of want to introduce our listeners to you and, and ask you, um, how long have you been practicing yoga and, and how did you first get introduced to yoga practice?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me, um, and being interested in talking to me on your podcast. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. Um, I have, uh, to answer your question, I've been practicing yoga for about 20 years. Um, I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, uh, I was a gymnast, a competitive gymnast from the time I was about three years old. And, um, and then once I quit gymnastics when I was about 12, I started dancing and then I danced all through college. In fact, I majored in dance in college and through my dance training, I was introduced to yoga sort of as an alternative body awareness. Sort of technique so mm-hmm. all the yoga that i had um through my dance training was sort of geared towards my dancing um and uh so i i was kind of introduced to it loosely when i was in high school and i didn't really realize that it was yoga it was sort of like incorporated into the dance warm-ups of classes that i was taking yeah and then sense. um and then when i was in college i actually was like oh i'll take this as an elective and so i t- i remember taking a yoga class at seven thirty in the morning at ohio state um in the dance department so i should mention that it was still dance related yeah and it was dance focused and um i remember trekking across campus in the freezing cold to do yoga in the morning and um and it, it was hard and i just i remember um enjoying it and also being challenged and frustrated by it um, in the way that it was being taught at the time. Yeah. And then after I, I took that um, class in college, and it was just like a, a quarter of, of class, it wasn't really my entire duration of the time that I was at Ohio State. Um, I Once I graduated school, I sort of fell into taking more yoga to supplement my dancing because I couldn't get into a dance class every day. Uh And I felt like yoga was like a great way to keep my, my body and my mind, you know, sort of in it. Um, and yeah, so I mean, that was like sort of my, my initial introduction to yoga was really through the lens of a dancer. And, um, but then there was a shift in, in that sort of maybe, I don't know, like 10 years later, maybe less than that, um, where I sort of was reintroduced to yoga, living in New York City, um, taking classes at a local gym across the street from where I was living. I came in touch with this really great teacher. Um, her, her name is Karen, um, and she was awesome, and her classes were packed, and I was just amazed at how much I really loved yoga, but the context of my life has changed so much by that point. I um, was no longer dancing, um, and I felt like yoga really replaced that discipline for me. And I also was just so intrigued about how it was so much more beyond the asana than was ever introduced to me mm. when I was in college. And that really was like the impetus for me to continue learning and exploring, and from there, I, you know, would ask Karen lots of questions and she was like, well, you should, you should come and practice at this yoga center that is, you know, seven blocks away from where we are. And that really was what opened up all the doors and opened up my mind to like this whole magnificent, amazing art of yoga. And, um, and that's really, I was just totally intrigued. And that was about 10 years ago.
0: Was that um, your, was that your first intro into the shanga world?
1: Yes, but that came a little bit later. I was always doing um vinyasa yoga uh-huh. and just, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, flow and hatha yoga and then um I was introduced to the asanga practice in 2012. Mm. And that was after I actually did a teacher training at that yoga center um without the intentions of ever teaching. I just took the teacher training because I wanted to deepen my practice and study of nice. yoga. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: which is a lot of yoga teachers' story that right? <laughs> they never intended on being a yoga teacher, and that was <laughs> certainly um, mine because I had a had a very established career in something completely different, um, and yoga was really my outlet for yeah. for the craziness of and hecticness of the corporate world that I was working in New York. And so um, but after I did this teacher training at the field center, I um, decided to try out the Mysore room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the first time I ever went into the Mysore room, I was like, not ready. (laughs) I was not ready for what that (laughs) practice was presenting to me. I was like, I can do more than sun salutations in the first six poses, and I'm a dancer. And I like I had this right. whole ego about me. I'm like I can I could I could do all this, and uh-huh. I I can learn all of this. Like, why isn't he giving me more? Like, was I'm it, like what, I'm not waking up at six o'clock in the morning to not do a full practice. This is crazy. But I didn't pretty, have the patience. Was for
0: there it. A, was yeah. there an advanced cr- uh, crew in the room too when you went in?
1: Yeah, there were people doing like all sorts of weird. Stuff or so it looked to right. me at the time, and I was just like, "Whoa! I never saw those poses in the vinyasa classes that I've been taking for all these years." And like people putting their legs behind their head and all sorts of stuff, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Well, I could probably <laughs> do that if I tried, <laughs> but, like, but like, I agree. I was, <laughs> but I, but really, I, I just wasn't at that time. Yeah. I wasn't ready, and then it took me having a beginner's mind to enter that room mm. to be like okay I'm ready for this and if I'm only starting little by little then I'll build the practice from here and and I certainly did and then I was handed way more than what I could handle um, so I kind of <laughs>
0: ate my words. <laughs> <through that. laughs> oh man, I, I can agree with, uh, the first, um, time stepping into a, a serious mysore room. Uh, Tamara and I, the first time we did, we both kind of looked at each other and went, I think we're in the wrong spot. Well, let's get out of here. You know, yeah. and, um, yeah, it's super, intimidating. I'm glad that you brought that up because, um, people are nervous about, trying the Mysore or the self-practice mm-hmm. method and um mm-hmm. but it's it's uh, and i think you're right you do have to be in the right time in your life and space to to be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with this and put some energy into it that's really uh-huh. cool carly awesome um yeah, yeah. so do you can do you continue to so do you do do you do a daily Ashtanga style practice now
1: i do um yeah. i try to stick to a five to six day a week practice um and get on my mat in some capacity, um, on those days. If it's a Saturday or a moon, I take my rest day on Saturday uh-huh. or, um, moon day, I don't practice. So I always look forward to those days, <laughs> actually, to be honest. Um, but I, I really do try to stick to a schedule and keep myself accountable to my practice because I know in the end, I always feel better for it. Um, but, uh, these days I am, Doing strictly home practice. Yeah, um, it's more convenient for me with my teaching schedule. Um, I'm often up and out the door by five thirty in the morning because I see my first student at six, and then I'll usually have another student after that at seven thirty. And the time that I get on my mat is is often a little bit different every day. But yeah, I um, I am doing an ashtanga practice, and I try to you know keep a traditional schedule to what I was doing yeah. when I was in a strict shala on um, setting. And uh, yeah, so and and I, there's days where yeah. I don't get on the mat and do a lot. There's yeah. some days where I just am like, okay, I'm going to do my sun citations and the last three poses and that's going to be it. And I, you know, that to me is uh, that counts for sure.
0: Yeah. I hear you. It's nice when you, turn that little bit of a corner and appreciate that even if I do one sun salutation today, that, that does, that does show or help me feel like I am attending to my practice for the day. Mm-hmm. And I, exactly. and um, I do believe that you do do that on a regular basis. Cause the last time that you came to visit Florida um, and mm-hmm. you came here in practice, i I was blown away at how strong you are and uh, oh, and how strong thanks. your practice is. So, Um, that's really cool that you're staying, staying strong and working, you know, keeping keeping on it like that. That's amazing. I I
1: try. I'll continue to do that until I can't. (laughs) It's kind of what I tell myself. I'll, I'll continue to try to keep my practice going until I can.
0: Now, had you taught dance ever before or was when you started teaching yoga kind of the first time that you got involved in teaching your movement art?
1: That's a really good question. Actually. Um, when I was in college, I guess I taught a little bit of dance, like more towards, um, people that weren't dance majors. I I believe I like taught a class or two. Uh Um, but it wasn't really the pedagogy of teaching wasn't really transferred in my dance training. So, um, I, I guess I would say the first time I ever taught movement was really through through yoga, and and I am blown away, and I still am blown away about how difficult it is. I, I always find it to be challenging in a good way, but like it's been one of the most challenging things I've ever put my mind to mm. doing is teaching and translating yeah. this practice to other people. Yeah, because um, there's so much more than just the physical. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so this teaching has definitely teaching yoga has definitely um, has definitely uh, been one of those things that I've had to really, really
0: work at. That's cool. I hear you, and uh, you are uh, you are a yoga teacher in New York City, which um, I would imagine presents its own set of opportunities in the sense that you have a lot of people around you. So there's like a, Mm -hmm. a lot of. Opportunity, in my opinion, but also I, I can think there's obviously some challenges too. New York City's expensive, and uh, yeah, <laughs> um, and so with that being yeah. said, uh, w- what has it been like to be in New York during what's currently going on with the coronavirus, and mm-hmm. and as a yoga teacher, um, what sort of evolution are you seeing occur, or just in your own experience in your practice, and 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 staying inside, um, what do you what are you noticing?
1: Well, just in terms of this crisis in New York City, it's like, uh, it's like I'm, unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, it you know I, I joke that if a crisis wasn't going on here in New York City, it would be such a pleasure to be here right now. Because yeah. as somebody who lives here normally and just steps out your door, and you're like bombarded with. Much stimulation, it's the exact opposite. I'll step out the door of my building, and literally, there's nobody on the street. And in a way, that's so wonderful, but then you realize what's going on, and then it really sinks in how you know bad it is. And the one thing, it's so quiet, there's hardly anybody on the street at all hours of the day. You can walk down Madison Avenue, Third Avenue in the middle of the avenue, during the middle of the day, and there are no cars. Wow. And I've never seen it like that before. I'll have to send you some pictures so you can see. But, wow. um, uh, and and so in that regard, it's really, it's it's very weird. Um, you can't avoid people at all in New York. So even though I'm saying that the streets are empty, there are people walking down the street and you just have to take the precautions of wearing a mask and gloves and pretty much, everybody you see are wearing masks and gloves the one creepy thing that's going on here is that there are non-stop ambulances and it was actually worse i would say like a week ago and the previous week and now it things are kind of it seems like things are kind of coming down but all you would hear non-stop day and night were ambulances and um so that really you know hit home like this is the situation's real and it's dangerous and it's scary. And then also the the really, really amazing thing that I love and look forward to every evening is at seven PM, everybody in every neighborhood in New York City goes out on their terraces, on their fire escapes, on their rooftops and or stand on the street and everybody cheers and claps and bangs pots (laughs) and pans and screams on the top of their lungs to cheer on all the essential workers and it is like it gives me chills to
2: talk about it and every
1: night it gives me chills because it's so like people are very wow uh, they're acknowledging what's going on in that way and people are really doing their part to stay home and i think that you can really feel the gratitude and the appreciation for those people that are on the front lines in that moment. And so it's, it's really, really amazing.
0: Yeah. wow, Uh, That gave me chills when you said that, because New York has such an incredible vibe about it. And to, to think of everybody in the city, like expressing appreciation like that all at the same time would have to be Mm -hmm. a a profound experience.
1: Yeah. And it happens every, Every single night since we've been on lockdown, everybody, you know, it's really, I hear my neighbors, everybody's outside and and it's very cool. It's a really cool thing. Yeah.
0: That is. How are you um, dealing with being inside or indoors um, all the time? Or or, or are you? Are you? Are you know? Some people obviously we we see reports of you know like lots of people exercising outside and moving around where where we're living. A lot of people are still driving around, but because you know we can step out of our onto our driveway, get in a car, drive somewhere, and get back. We're not really necessarily coming in contact with people as much. I'd imagine in New York that's way harder. Like you said. Are you, yeah. are you trying to just stay in all the time or are you just like doing like purposeful, like one week runs to the grocery store? Like how often are you going out?
1: Well, so I have a puppy and so she needs to be walked. So yeah. we go outside five times a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, she needs to be walked a lot, but they're not like really long walks. But I will say, and I'm so thankful that Central Park is open. And mm. so I bring her there on a daily basis. So that she can run around and play. And, and there are people in the park. But way, way, way less people.
2: Yeah. And
1: so I'm getting walked that way. And I'm getting out of the house that way. Um, otherwise, you know, I do live in a studio apartment in New York. Um, everything's in one room. Right. And you would think that I would be going nuts. But I actually am fine. And um, I, I'm busy. I have things going on. I'm teaching actually a lot um, virtually. So I, I'm doing all right. I'm actually doing fine. Um, I I think that it would be nice if I could just hop in a car and drive around and go see a lot of different things. But, you know, I really feel like I haven't gotten outside a a 10 block radius in maybe almost two months now. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I'm okay. I'm that's, doing it right. <laughs> that's cool.
0: It sounds like you are. I mean, uh, I I think everyone's feeling a little bit of that challenge no matter where what situation they're in. So I, I think also what seems apparent is that you, you we kind of realize that we can still find satisfaction and happiness even in a these sort of challenging, confined potential potentially confining situations. So yeah. it's good to hear that you're making the most of it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm. I'm. I feel very lucky. I'm healthy and I'm safe, and everybody in my family is healthy and safe. And and that's as much as I can ask for right uh, yeah. now. So yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, one of the questions that comes up often. Um, this changes changes gears a little bit, but sure. Uh, in relation to yoga and and teaching and t- yoga teachers, um, one of the questions yeah. that comes up is that you know, should we just have one teacher or is there benefit to seeking advice from multiple teachers um, okay. to help inform our yoga practice? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on this idea?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, I think it's appropriate to have um, a different attitude towards having one teacher and multiple teachers at different points in your practice. Like, mm. when I was first Starting about 10 years ago when I was first really getting into yoga uh, in in a more authentic way and, and really learning philosophy, and I sought out a lot of different teachers, and I think it really colored my experience and perspective of what was out there um, in terms of yoga practice. But then once I sort of decided that I was going to um, set on the path of the Ashtanga uh, lineage and dive into that, I feel like, for me at least, it was important to learn the practice and study for a while with just one teacher, to have one perspective and one point of view and really learn the practice um, in, in a focused way from one person. And also have one teacher at that time to be invested in me and my progress as a student and also, you know, reciprocate that investment towards the teacher Mm. and then at a certain point and I can't really define exactly what that certain point was but I do did feel like it was important for me to see how this practice was being taught from other people Mm. and hear what other people had to say and learn about the practice from others experience and and in doing so that also colored my experience with the Ashtanga method, and I think it made it much more rich. It kept me inspired, and it, um, it informed a lot of my practice. And I think that it, it is great to have a lot of teachers. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I do so think it's important to have one main teacher, yeah. one main teacher that, you know, is your home base and somebody that you can touch base with about your practice on a regular basis, even if you're not within close proximity with them, to them. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my view on it. I think that there's a time and place for having more than one teacher and then having just one teacher. Uh-huh. But I think the tendency is that, you know, um, students or people, they want to like guru I don't even know if that's a word, <laughs> but like sort <laughs> of find one yeah. person to yeah. devote themselves to and feel as though they put that person up on a pedestal. And um, that's the danger that I find in having just one teacher
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that that person becomes this like ultimate authority over not just your yoga, but like every aspect of your life. And I don't necessarily think that's appropriate. Um, and so I think it, I think it's good to have a lot of perspectives and then ultimately, ultimately you yourself being your own teacher, being able to decide what is good for you and what is not good for you and going with that.
0: That's a good point. Have Have you noticed a transition from the period of where you were a student and just practicing, then you become a teacher, and you are still trying to hang on to being the student and being a teacher and then potentially taking more on to the teaching role? Are you still yeah. able to maintain a, a feeling or connection with a teacher currently or a group of teachers?
1: Yeah, that's a I. First of all, it. I don't even really feel like I'm a teacher. Yes, I am a teacher, but I feel first and foremost that I'm a student. Mm-hmm. So definitely that is my priority is to get in the presence of those teachers that I so um, much admire and seek wisdom from um, a, a couple times a year. I don't live close to them, um, but I really try to make huge efforts to go and visit with them and and study with them and sort of plug in to the teachings, um, during that time. Um, yeah. So did I answer your question there? Yeah,
0: you did. Okay. You did. And that made me, made me think of like times where maybe if I'm thinking like, Oh, I don't have the time to go do that. Or how am I going to make that happen? That every time I do go back and get inspired, um, you know, I'm always blown away at how much, how necessary that was to kind of get that little bit of a uh, push. What, what are um, some qualities in the teachers that you have studied with that you most admire or that you try to embody in your experience of as a teacher?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think part of my commentary about having more than one teacher sort of is that each one of those teachers has something special about them that really sparked something within me. Mm. Um, and, and I can't get everything that I need from just one teacher. So, you know, um, I, I feel like I have had different teachers that are cheerleaders for me and, and you know, um, that really, you know, are invested in, in my success as a student and are interested in, in that for me, I have other teachers that have the more spiritual element that really inspires me. Or, um, I, I think that, you know, the, the qualities that I found in other teachers that I love are things that I try to embody myself, mm-hmm. um, as a teacher. And I try to be for my students, a bright light in their lives. And, somebody that they can rely on um, for when things are good and when things are, are not good. And, and I'm honest, you know, I like honesty in a teacher not somebody who's going to just blow smoke. (laughs) And I like, I like teachers. I think that are are mindful and detail oriented and um, are, are good at being able to translate the practice, not just through words, not just through their hands, um, but also just by the, they kind of carry it with them, yeah. um, in their day-to-day lives and they're good people outside of the yoga room.
0: Well said, Carly. I agree with you. Um, in, you know, so that brings us to an interesting point in, in today's modern yoga scene there, there can be perhaps like a disparity between, uh, a yoga student and maybe like a yoga consumer. And Mm -hmm. as a teacher, uh, what are some telltale distinctions that help you to decipher between these two variations and like qualities of students? If we were to, you know, put it into those two qualities.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, I think that the yoga student is hungry, hungry for knowledge, hungry to learn and open to different perspectives and thoughts and ideas and, Um, and just come at the yoga with this um, beginner's mind and, and this openness to them and, um, and really don't place any preconceived notions or judgment on the teaching. Mm. I think that the yoga consumer wants is hungry for achievement. Mm. So they want to get the next, pose and master the asana and and it's not only just the asana but i think that that they want the teacher to perform in a way that's pleasing to them Mm. and um that's the difference and i think that comes along with just environment and the type of person but i do think in time if somebody sticks with the yoga for long enough there they will shift yeah. The yoga itself does the work to <laughs> to bring that consumer into the more student mindset. Um, I really, I I really have faith in the practice in that way.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think you're right too. I I remember it, um, when I first started practicing um, the the method that I was involved in at the time. People would mm-hmm. maybe take digs on it and say that yoga is not spiritual. It's just consumer yoga or, you know, gym gym yoga. And I was loving it. You know, I thought it was so challenging and difficult and I felt exhilarated after. And I always kind of wondered in the back of my mind, like, why are they so skeptical on this? And then, you know, as you move along, you kind of start to maybe come in contact with styles that are, Perhaps um, leaning toward what you're mentioning of having that real deep hunger, that deep thirst for like true knowledge or deeper mm-hmm. understanding. Um, so, but but you can't help but look back and go, "But I needed that." Like I I, I needed yeah. to. So that is a good point to kind of. And I be, do. Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, I Please. do think, and I, I hear hear what you're saying. I, I do think that you know I came into the practice from the mindset of the physical like i was looking for some way to condition my body outside of my dance training and it continued to be that way even when the first time that i stepped into the mysore room i'm Mm. like i could do more than this and i didn't i had that you know mentality of like i want to do more i want i I keep this teacher should be teaching me more it should see that i can do more than than what he's giving me and that was not that was a consumer attitude.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I, the student attitude was the attitude that I came into the micro room with years later when I was more open to the teachings and was willing to, to do what was asked of me at the time.
0: Nice. So, yeah. Well, as well now having that sort of macrocosm perspective what do you do to alter your teaching methodology to cater to the student mentality versus the consumer mentality and, or do you think it's necessary that you have to formulate a specific approach? Do you have a, you know, do you, is that something that you can like witness and then you have a strategy to come back with, you know? <laughs> are you? Yeah, no, it's a
1: good <laughs> question. I mean, I, I think I, I try not to push an agenda on any of my students, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. So even, whether they're student or have that consumer mindset, I really try not to be pushy. I I, I feel like with the, the students of mine that are really students, I try to share as much as I can with them. And I feel open to doing so. And I don't mm. feel like I have to edit myself. Yeah. Whereas the students that I feel like have more more of that consumer mindset, mm. I tend to, um, hold back from yeah. sharing. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe that's to my own detriment, but I also feel like they're maybe not ready for that or they would blow yeah. it off. So I, I tend to hold back a little bit and really just, you know, and sometimes, so I, I work for this company, um, in which I go into people's homes and teach them, private lessons and sometimes I will have students through them that I see on a weekly basis and sometimes it's just a one-off Yeah, and sometimes those one-off situations is so weird because it's like okay well (laughs) how am I going to be a teacher to you I have like this hour and I have to be a teacher (laughs) to you or am I giving like am I are you consuming the yoga from me and then like am I just giving you an experience? And so you have to, I have to sort of tailor my teaching in those moments to, to give the person an experience that's going to be satisfying to them. And that's the mentality that I have with those yoga consumers is that I'm trying to satisfy them. And as a yoga teacher, I feel like you're not so much a sellout. You've got to do some of these, these types of gigs because you've got to make a living, you yeah, know? Right. And so you can't have every single person that you teach be the ideal
2: yeah. student. Yeah.
1: Um, and so I think it's good though because it, it puts things in perspective sometimes.
0: Yeah. I agree. That first interaction process especially in the the private setting. I feel like in group classes it's almost, almost a little easier because when that new person joins in, you know, they're obviously a little hyper aware of their environment and you know, mm-hmm. if you have your regular folks all the time and when the new person comes in, you're also, you know, you're checking them out. Like you want to, <laughs> you want to <laughs> see like, well, how do they move and how are they responding? And yep. it's an amazing process there. But in on the private level, you're, you're right. That first interaction, I always find that on the second session, if I'm yeah. lucky enough to get that second session with them, yeah, my excitement for showing up is so much greater. Um, heightened that first one is a little challenging. You just you just don't know like what how is this going to go? You know, so that's that's interesting yes. insight to um, yeah.
1: And you have like yeah. your bam like right in this intimate setting with a <laughs> yeah. stranger from the start. <laughs> it's just very awkward for sure. Right. And 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 I have to say, like I don't know if you know this about me, but um, you know, outside of the strong press what m- mostly m- most of my teaching that I do in New York City is one on one. Mm. so i go into people's homes and literally that's about 98 percent of my teaching that i do yeah and so um but a lot of the the people that i'm teaching are students of mine for many many years and that i see them weekly or several times a week for many years now so um they are real true students of mine but then i like i said I, i i also you know work as like a a freelancer for this company where I'll, you know, take on random teaching opportunities and I'll just have that one session with them. And you're like, there's no feedback. There's nothing. (laughs) You're just like, okay, I get hope to see you again. And you never know if you'll see that person again. So you just, that's more of a consumer experience, I would say.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And that definitely makes me feel, um, such an incredible. So maybe if we just get a chance here for both of us to say mm-hmm. a huge thank you to our long term <laughs> student supporters Students? that, oh my that gosh. stick with Thanks us. Goodness. And mm-hmm. I mean, oh my gosh, that that is a really amazing connection to have. And, and I, I agree. It's pretty special um
2: agreed (laughs) we're very thankful
0: (laughs) you guys thank you thank you all right thank you that's right (laughs) um so you know you you you've been in New York city for a while and have you noticed the change in the landscape in New York city over the years in terms of like the small independently owned yoga studio, like the boutique studio Mm -hmm. and, and then Mm -hmm. now you know, there's, there's larger operations going on that are, that are corporately owned and or yoga, you know, a franchise. What have you noticed over the years, the evolution in that, that process?
1: Yeah. Uh, the yoga landscape in New York has changed a lot in just the last several years. I think that New York City, like you mentioned earlier, is true, is so expensive. And commercial space in New York City, whether it's a yoga studio or a retail store or anything is incredibly expensive to the point where even before this crisis happened, there were countless empty storefronts in new york and wow. i mean my neighborhood was just like what was left was like a, a you know a bank and a pharmacy and you know big chain sort of yeah. stores yeah. and and really that's like what can survive and all the little quaint character the the stores that give new york city any character are all falling by the wayside wow. because they can't afford the rent and I don't really know what's going to happen. And I, and sadly, and I hate to bring it to this place, but I think that after this crisis, it's going to be even worse. Yeah. Um, I really do worry about what New York is going to look like when this is all over. And yeah. I think that when it came, comes to the yoga in New York, that was what was happening before this crisis. Like, and even because of this crisis, I know of two yoga centers in my neighborhood, one that's corporately owned and one that is independently owned that announced that they were closing because they just can't make it. And they've um, they've already,
0: they've already pulled the plug. Maybe Mm -hmm. they were so far under to begin with that this just seemed like an unbearable weight to try to even carry.
1: Exactly. Like one month of not having students walking in the doors, I think was just like enough to be like, no, no more. We're done. We can't we can't handle this rent and we can't we can't do it anymore so wow. um, I, I think and that's the independent and the more yoga change wow. and I think good, that yeah. the big corporate yoga centers in New York City are also uh, struggling a lot and I don't really know what it is because you know you hear like yoga's gained so much popularity and there's so many people doing yoga I will say I teach one group yoga class at a corporate gym in New York City every week, just one class. And in that class, I have like 40, 45 people in the room every single week. And I'm not saying that because I'm like, I'm this great
2: teacher that everybody wants
1: to take class with. I think that yoga, yoga has become such like a supplement to a lot of people in their Mm. workouts Mm. that they're seeking it out in, a gym setting which right. is fine right. um and that's where you're getting a lot of students i think that people are not seeking yoga out in the same way because it's not available to them as easily anymore yeah. there's not all these little quaint yoga centers hmm. around because they can't survive anymore yeah and so it's sad i really hope things change i hope there's this like this huge renaissance and revolution that happens in new york city after this crisis because um because because of this crisis i don't know what's going to happen but that's kind of what i've witnessed um in in the last at least 10 years i think things have changed a lot
0: that's interesting because the last time um we had a chance to travel to new york city was two years ago Mm -hmm. and um and I, you know, you're just you're walking down the streets and you're listening to what everybody has to say. And and um, you know, I heard murmur, you know, murmur people saying, um, you know, let's go. You, you got if you want to go eat at a good restaurant, you got to go out to Brooklyn because all of the kind of super high end restaurants in downtown are just mm-hmm. so overpriced and so um. They don't have that like kind of feeling of like just good old like worldly cooking, you know, I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I know the food's amazing, but, and, yeah. and so I, and then you, you hear even from like, say the artists will say that New York City is unaffordable. So like it used to have this incredible art feel to it or the musicians yeah. are saying, you know, we can't afford to be in New York anymore. And so, so mm-hmm. I think you're right. That is a nice vision to imagine that somehow it would reopen to a more realistic economy that could could support this the small business um, scenario. Yeah, some, so I, something's I like that. you gonna have to yeah. happen.
1: I hope. <laughs> yeah. I, I really do. I mean, for the sake and survival of New York, um, I mm. I hope. It's so sad. Like so, and it's not just the small little businesses. It's some of the really big businesses too. Like even this wonderful grocery store <laughs> that's on the the Upper East Side where I live um, announced that it was closing and it's like, it, it's sad for New York. Like they can't even survive this huge, very popular grocery store that's always so busy. It's like, how are they not able to keep going? You know? I, so I, I don't know. I just hope yeah. I, I really do hope that there's going to be a big overhaul and, and, and things there's like a resurgence of small small uh business again to bring color back into the city.
0: oh, I hear ya I think so. yeah. I, th- that's a good vision. I'm definitely on board with you on that one <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, that's interesting you know i you know we I think it's important that we you know cover the light topics and also some of the heavier ones so that yeah, we, we keep it re- we can keep it real. <laughs> And yeah. but at the same time, you know, um, you know, offer a little bit of and some some excitement for what is to come in the future. <laughs> and sure. um, sure. you know, what is what is something that you like to do to try to bring some lightness to your day uh, or your routines? Like, do you have any little practices? Or I mean, it could be super simple. But what's what's what are some things that you find yourself getting enjoyment out of? That's easy and simple.
1: Yeah. Well, I have a puppy. Like I said, she's eight months. So she uh-huh. definitely is like the light of my life. She is so much fun. And I find that I spend lots of time with her now. Um, and we go on our walks and I take her to the park and I love watching her play with other dogs. So it's, she's been really fun and that's been great for me. Um, you know, and I get a lot of joy out of, you know, watering my plants. <laughs> And cooking and, and taking care of my yes, home and yes. that sort of stuff, like things that are unrelated to the actual yoga practice. Sometimes, yeah. you know, when you say the word yoga too many times in a day, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I sometimes need like a mental break from, from it. And, and I, you know, and I love to just, you know, do those simple things, yeah. but they, they bring me a lot of joy.
0: I hear ya. Animals, plants, um, Yeah, other living things. <laughs> right? I hear Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, that's awesome, Carly. Um, you know, as a leader in your yoga community, what what message would you like to impart us with and, and our listeners?
1: Well, Thanks for considering me a leader. Um, I, you know,
0: <laughs> I
1: <laughs> would like to, I, I mean, I just would like to say that, you know, your yoga practice really should be for you and your benefit um, so that, you know, when you're done with the yoga that you spend on your mat, that you take it with you into your life. Um, and the teachings of the, the practice really are beyond the, you know, four corners of your mat. And, um, I think that you should always get on your mat for yourself and for no other reason than that. So not to impress somebody, not to achieve something, but just for your self-preservation and satisfaction, I think that that's what it's about. And, um, you know, some days the practice is going to feel great and be wonderful and some days it's not, but I will say that I have never done a yoga practice and felt like i shouldn't have done it <laughs> i always right. feel better for it in the end and i just want to encourage people to to do the practice and just and enjoy it and do it for themselves
0: awesome i agree with you that's well said thank you carly
1: Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Thank well you. I'm
0: so you know, we really appreciate that you again, you took some took some time out of your day for us today and um, we're we're thinking of you and everybody up there in the northeast and, and all over Thank the world, you. right? For yes. for health and for our families and um, yes. I'm glad we're glad that you're well and um, we'll we'll stay in touch for sure. Please Right. Send send our love and to all your friends and family and um, Thank well, you. I will. Awesome. Well thank you so much for joining us today and and we'll we'll connect again soon.
1: Thanks, Todd, and thank you and your family. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> all right,
0: you know it. Thanks, okay. Carly. Take care. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Native Yoga Toddcast. We really appreciate it and we hope you enjoyed. Remember that if you'd like to learn more about upcoming classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and our online yoga studio, all of which you can access at nativeyogacenter.com. Your support is greatly appreciated. Have a wonderful day.